Suffering Street, your boy Marty here to introduce this rip of TFTC. Sat down with a fellow beefy Bitcoin boy, James O'Byrne. First time on the pod in quite a bit. Sat down to talk about his new proposal, Op Vault, which would bring a vault structure to Bitcoin. Very interesting. Very much needed. Would help give people peace of mind as they secure their Bitcoin. Give them a, a fail safe anybody tries to attack their stash very interesting conversation we also weighed into the state of, of bitcoin governance which james is a bit bearish on i think it's a very important episode for you freaks to listen to to get a perspective of a core developer i want to say he's burned out but is uh, a bit dismayed at the state of the bitcoin software project so you guys are going to enjoy it before we get into the ad reads we have to read the top four boost from RIP 387, building Lightning Network infrastructure with Graham Krizik from Voltage. First shout out at letter 6173, 7,777 sats. Solid content, excited for what the next decade will bring for Bitcoin. Thank you, letter 6173. At blockchain boog, 1,000 sats. When core Lightning, question mark. When clear net node, question mark. Uh, aimed at the Voltage team. At Slim Shady, 101 sats, smallest palindrome. You're wrong, Slim Shady. 11 is the smallest palindrome. Uh, at Frank America, 100 sats, voltage. Thank you guys for contributing. If you guys are liking these rips and you want to give value back, if you're getting value out of them, you can do so by downloading a Podcasting 2.0 compatible app, Fountain, Breeze, Podverse. The number of apps is growing by the day we really appreciate you guys supporting we appreciate our sponsors supporting as well this trip was brought to you by our good friends at river do you want to use a bitcoin exchange a bitcoin company azure exchange or would you rather let the shit coiners be the on off ramp for for your bitcoin exposure i know me personally i prefer teams that are dedicated to bitcoin that have actually built their infrastructure, their own multi-sigs using Bitcoin's native properties. That's exactly what River has done. It's a Bitcoin company built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. First of all, it's an exchange. If you want a DCA using River, you set up your DCA. You don't pay any fees on that dollar cost average. It's a great way to DCA into Bitcoin. If you want to mine, River's set up some hosting. You can mine using River. And more recently, they've they've launched their River Lightning Services API, which is if you want to build and connect to the Lightning Network, River has built this API. So if you're an engineer and want to leverage an API to build on Lightning, you can do so with River. Again, a Bitcoin company built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. You may have your exchange. They've been acquiring Bitcoin through. Are they are they doing shitcoin things? Do they actually build their own infrastructure? If the answer is yes to the first question, no to the second question, you may want to think about River. It's where the actual Bitcoiners are going. That's where I am. So go to river.com slash TFTC, sign up. Again, they have the exchange, ability to mine the River Lightning Services API. So you can acquire Bitcoin, mine Bitcoin, build on Bitcoin using River. They also have a Lightning wallet. So if you want to pay invoices, you can do that directly from your river wallet as well. And then on top of that, I should note, um, yes, it's a third party exchange, but they do encourage you to take custody of your Bitcoin. 
So you can acquire on River and they encourage you to send to your cold storage that you control. River.com slash TFTC. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. They're right down the hall for me. They're not here today. MLK Day. Unchained team seems to have off. We don't stop here in the comments. We don't stop here at TFTC. I don't want to denigrate Unchained as I'm reading their ad read. I'm just poking fun. But Unchained is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. This is... Uh, really driven home with their vault product, which is a two or three multi-sig vault in which you hold two keys. Unchained holds one. Since you have those two keys, you have control of your Bitcoin. You can move it as you see fit. But if you're ever in a pinch and you need Unchained to be there in the second and the two or three multi-sig quorum, they are there for you. Uh, they have a white glove concierge service. If you go to unchained.com slash concierge, uh, you'll meet one of their concierge team members who's going to get you comfortable with multi-sig, get you comfortable with Unchained, they're going to send you hardware wallets. They're going to walk you through the process of setting up a vault. They're going to help you do that. They're going to uh, manage or give you some advice about geographically distributing your wallets and the backup phrases. Uh, they're here to help you and to get you as comfortable as possible and make it as easy as possible. So go to unchained.com slash concierge. Use the code TFTC for $50 off the concierge service. Think about taking control of your Bitcoin, eliminating single points of failure. River's telling you to take control of your Bitcoin. Good way to do it. Bye, River. Send it on Chain Vault. It's a beautiful thing. Enjoy this rip with James O'Burn Freaks. Take You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts. All, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. You probably should be. You probably should be. The beefy Bitcoin boys are back. Oh, man. It's real. It's real. You thought we were gone. We're never, we were never gone. We were never gone. Although, you know, my gym attendance has been pretty, pretty poor. I think I, um, I only qualify as a beefy Bitcoin boy kind of in a, you know, in an emeritus sense, but, um, I'll probably get back in today. We have to be eating steak and eggs at Jimmy's diner in Brooklyn. Rest in peace. That's the last time we hung out in New York, right? Yeah. I remember that I we 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 both felt like we had gotten duped by some of the zero hedge pandemic news, um, but we you know turned out that that wasn't the case and and all that stuff was right on. Yeah, this was in what February, twenty twenty, almost three years ago. A lot has changed since then. A lot has changed. Living a whole new world. Yeah, it certainly feels like it. Yeah. I mean, we were, we just freaks. We just talked for like 20 minutes about the state of the world. It is chaotic. We are in uncharted territory. I mean, one of the biggest differences is that you now have a producer. That's kind of blowing my mind. Yeah. Logan's over there. He was trying to ninja launch on us. I said, no, Logan. <laughs> we need some off the record catch up time here. I think sometimes like the best conversations happen after the interview actually ends, you know, and you, 
you're kind of like relieved and you're able to actually kind of speak your mind a little bit more freely. Do you ever think about just secretly recording those and then giving the interviewee the option? You're like, hey, we we accidentally left the, 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 the record on. Do you want to like actually release this thing? I think it was pretty... Like you remember when we were talking with uh, the Epsilon Theory guy? Ben We Hunt. had that great... Yeah, Ben Hunt. We had like that great hour-long conversation afterwards where we were kind of pulling him up on on uh, some of the stuff that he had said. Yeah, no, I wonder what the ethics of that are. Well, you, you can, give him the you option. Can, yeah. You're right. You give him the option. Yeah. Maybe I should do that. Logan, keep that in the back of your mind. Look into the, the legality of doing that. That's, uh, it's never been my strong suit. Looking in the, Am I a journalist? <laughs> I don't know. What, is, what are the ethics of journalism? I never took a course. But um, you, you mean you don't have a license? You're practicing journalism without a license? Well, I don't live I in don't Canada, so I don't have to do that right now. Oh, uh, that's yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, I don't know if that ever went through, but the, yeah, there was a a law on the table in Canada where if you wanted to to publish a blog, you had to sign up with the government, put yourself on a list as a as a journalist. Oh man. It's crazy clown world. We need Bitcoin. We need people like you working on Bitcoin. That's what we're here to talk about today. I'm sure we'll wade and meander back into the macro landscape and what's going on because it is chaotic. But we're here to talk about OpVault, a proposal, not an official BIP yet, but a, how would you describe it? It's a proposal for a new type of vault structure. Yeah, I mean, it really started out for me as an exploration, um, I've worked in a few different uh, commercial Bitcoin contexts at this point where, you know, you're talking about either custodying or shuttling around a lot of Bitcoin. And so vaults kind of came on my radar a few years ago as being something really worthwhile towards those ends. And I started to kind of wade into the to the covenants conversation and basically came up with this thought experiment for what, you know, what the perfect vault would look like. And so I, I wanted to write up a paper that just kind of summarized what I was thinking about and what I had found. And, um, as I was doing that, I kind of found that this op vault thing was becoming more and more tangible. And so at a certain point I said, okay, I just got to write up an implementation of this thing in core and see what it looks like and see what it feels like. Uh, and release that and, and, you know, kind of see what people make of it. And, you know, as I went through that process, I, I got more and more excited about it really, because it was like, oh, this is, this is pretty simple. This solves a lot of problems. It, it doesn't introduce a lot of overhead. Um, and I think if you're going to, if you're going to do something, you should have the code for it. If you're going to propose something, you should, you should have the code for, I mean, that's what Satoshi did. Right. And, Mm -hmm. I think there have been a lot of proposals in the last two years, two, three years that are just like, yeah, what if we did this crazy thing? And you're like, all right, well, that sounds cool. But, you know, how many opcodes you need to introduce for that? Like, what are those opcodes? What do they look like? What's the implementation look like? Um, so I got tired of stuff like that and wanted to just write up some code. Yeah, it's I like that you said that's exactly what Satoshi did. Let's write the code. 
see what happens, see how people receive it. But I think for the context of this conversation, let's just talk about the history of vaults and covenants because they're somewhat connected, somewhat disconnected, two different Mm -hmm. types of ideas. Um, So did this history start with the, funnily enough, uh, Professor Eamon Gunn-Sires covenants paper that he wrote with a couple others back in like 2015 or 2016? Yeah. Yeah, so it kind of did, but we can even go back further than that if, if you'd like, which is um, Greg Maxwell's famous Bitcoin talk post. Uh, yes. And um, he, I think the term he uses is like condo coins. Um, I think the title of the post is something like an amusingly horrible idea. Um, and yeah, so he basically introduces this idea of covenants which is like, you know, and with Bitcoin right now, if you want to spend some coins, there's an there's a, a locking script that's like encumbering the coins, and you just have to present basically. So that's like a little computer program, basically. It's a little Bitcoin script program. So you present another program that you feed into that program, and then you unlock the coins. And you can do whatever you want with them. Um, the idea that Greg introduced in this post was like, what if instead of you know just that one unlocking script you you could unlock the coins based on other things uh like the structure of the transaction that you're going to be spending them into and so you know he was like oh you can do all kinds of horrible stuff with this uh you know luke luke jr amusingly in the original post he's like you know luke jr could have some coins where all the outputs have to be perfectly round numbers in the tonal number system um you know, you could do smash coin where in order to spend the coins, you have to present a proof that you attack some other chain. Um, so they're, they're mostly just like making fun of this idea. Um, and I think there was a lot of concern. I mean, it was kind of a, you know, early in Bitcoin, like people were talking a lot about stuff. And, and in many ways, like we kind of didn't know what we were doing. Um, but this post, I think, fomented a lot of negative opinion on covenants because it's basically these guys saying like, Hey, this is a really horrible idea because the government can come along and, you know, put constraints on your coins that are, you know, infinite and recursive and you can't, you know, you won't be able to escape these condo coins. Um, when in actuality, like that could happen today with multi-sig, like Coinbase could come along and say, uh, you know, you can't withdraw your coins unless it's to this multi-sig arrangement where the treasury department holds, you know, one, one of the keys. So, so that, that concern didn't actually end up being legitimate, but um, like you said, I think it was 2015 or so. Um, yeah. The infamous Eamon Gunsir uh, and two other guys um, published this paper. And it's kind of an interesting paper because it, um, kind of formalizes the idea of Bitcoin covenants. And it, I think it introduced the idea of vaults, which is, you know, one application of covenants. But, the, but then it's a weird paper because like the second half of the paper is like, yeah, we could also use these covenants things to do Bitcoin NG, which was like their, you know, almost their, um, you know, earlier version of Bitcoin cash where you, you know, you're, you're like, you get way more throughput because instead of doing proof of work, you're like electing leaders or something like that. And they just mint blocks. But anyway, um, 
Yeah, so they, they kind of came up with this idea of vaults in that paper. Yeah. And then from there, we've had a few developers that I'm aware of try to play with that <clears throat> proposal to create vaults or covenant structures on top of that, top of that. You had Oleg Andreev, I believe in 2016. Um, but then I think more tangibly, Brian Bishop created a vault structure. And then obviously Jeremy Rubin with OpCTV um, vaults are a big part of that covenant proposal. Um, and so I think what you've done with Op Vault really, and correct me if I'm wrong, builds on the shortcomings of, of Brian and Jeremy's implementation and tries to find like a happy medium with a different set of trade-offs. Is that a correct characterization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my goal in setting out to design this thing, again, you know, it was, it was, it was a thought experiment. Initially it was like, okay, I really, of the, of the covenant use cases, I mean, there are some really important ones like coin pools. We can, we can talk about that later, but um, vaults is the one that I really care about because I'm really focused on how to do Bitcoin custody safer, um, more safely. And um, so I, I was like, I'm, I'm just going to set out to design something that in an uncompromising way provides the best vault tool. Um, because I had experimented with, I had, I had looked at using OpCTV and I'd written up a, some code that, that actually used OpCTV to do vaults. And that was certainly an improvement over Brian Bishop's stuff. I mean, Brian, you know, Brian, I mean, in many ways, like was groundbreaking. Um, on this because he, he provided the, the first real working implementation of, of vaults, but um, he was just kind of hamstrung by the limitations of Bitcoin in the sense that if you wanted to do vaults, you had to do these, you basically have to generate a temporary key or an ephemeral key, as I call it in the paper, and um, send some Bitcoin to, to transactions controlled by this key, generate a few different possible transactions, and then throw away the key. Um, and then you have to keep track of the transactions that you generate, uh, because they, like, they basically turn Bitcoin into cash, like a bearer asset. Like you're, if you lose those transactions, you've lost the Bitcoin because you don't have the key anymore, at least theoretically. Um, so you both have to make sure you like actually deleted the key because otherwise, you know, if someone kept a copy of the key, they can then spend the coins, even though you think you're actually in this vault structure. Um, so you have to make sure you delete the key, but then even if you've done that, you have to make sure that you hang on to the pre-signed transactions kind of until you want to unvault. And if you lose them, the Bitcoin's gone. Um, so as an individual, that's really a pain, you know, certainly if you're going to operationalize that, uh, as a, some kind of commercial entity dealing with Bitcoin, that's a real pain and it's, really hard to kind of prove to yourself and to auditors that you're actually deleting that key. Um, so, you know, like Brian's work was really groundbreaking and it was a great proof of concept, but I think there were just like a lot of practical difficulties with doing it. Um, then when Jeremy came along with OpCTV, um, and it's worth noting for the, the purpose of vaults, like you can, kind of do the same thing with any prev out APO um, because they're both sort of general covenant mechanisms, but um, OpCTV comes along and 
what it really does is instead of having to come up with this ephemeral key that you're generating and then signing and then hoping you delete properly, um, the enforcement of that is kind of moved on chain. And so you can rely on the consensus engine to say, okay, yeah, you're locking up these coins and you can only spend them in one of, you know, 27 ways. Um, because with CTV, what you're doing is like you're pre-generating the graph of transactions that are allowed for those coins. And then um, you're kind of committing to that. So, uh, so CTV definitely introduced some improvements on the design, but the problem is like, you're still, you still have to pre-generate everything and you still have to say, okay, the coins are able to go here or here or here in, you know, these amounts, uh, with these fee rates, um, to these keys, you know, um, and, and that just kind of like locks you in, uh, in many ways. Yeah, particularly on the fee rates side of things, right? Because if you mm-hmm. preset those fees, we you don't move coins from that vault until some point way in the future where the fee market's completely different. There's a possibility that those transa- transactions just sit in a mempool for a, a long period of time. Yeah, it's a big risk. Um, so maybe to step back just to make sure everybody knows what a vault is. Um, the basic idea, like if you really boil it all down, like in, in the abstract, what you're doing with vaults is you take some coins and you say, okay, I want to lock these coins up in such a way that there's like one recovery path. So I've gone and generated some, you know, some super cold keys. And at any point I can sweep these coins into that recovery path because I'm pretty sure that that's like safe or at the very least that's like from an infrastructure standpoint, completely different than everything else that I'm doing. Otherwise, if these coins move at all, there's gotta be this delay period during which I can contest the spend of those coins, you know, by sweeping them to the recovery path. So if I'm using these things and I set my delay period to a day and I, you know, making, uh, yet another bad decision, and I want to go send my coins to an exchange so I can sell them. I start the withdrawal process to that, you know, to that exchange, and then um, I have to wait a day, and then eventually the, you know, the coins to the exchange become spendable. If somebody hacks my stuff and they start, you know, trying to spend the coins, I have a whole day or whatever period I set to intervene and sweep those coins into the recovery path. Um, so in the, in the abstract, that's how it would work. But the reason I kind of clarify that is because when you're predetermining um, all the different paths that the coins can go, you have to use, you have to basically say, like in CTV, if you're going to do a vault, you basically have to say, okay, when I start the withdrawal process for these coins, they are going to go to this one address that's going to serve as kind of like an intermediate wallet, like a hot wallet that I then eventually decide like where they're ultimately going to go. Because presumably like when I'm creating the vault, I don't know where I'm going to spend the coins to. Um, but if I'm creating the vault with a pre-generated graph of transactions, I have to like decide where everything is going to go. So I have to have this kind of awkward intermediate hot wallet that's hard coded. But, you know, one of the big things that OpVault does is you don't have to decide where that withdrawal destination is until you start the withdrawal process. And so that allows you to completely skip like this warm or hot wallet 
phase that you would otherwise have to do, which is a big win. Yeah. And the way this plays out in the implementation, you have two different types of signatures, correct? They can unlock. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So you specify, number one, you specify like what the recovery path is because that you absolutely want to fix. That's, that's the place you can always spend to if anything goes wrong. So, you know, that, and that might be a taproot address or um, a script uh, that has like, you know, a number of conditions. You can imagine like, it's like, okay, I can either at the recovery path, I can either spend immediately with my super, super cold keys, or I can wait a year and then spend with some, you know, maybe this cold card that sits in my closet or whatever. Um, but then, so you specify the recovery path and then you specify the unvault key. And that's, that's what you use to sign to basically authorize uh, the start of the withdrawal process. <clears throat> and so the trade-offs to really dig into how this differs from Brian and Jeremy's implementations. Um, it's better. It's an improvement on Brian's implementation because you don't have to burn the keys. You don't have that risk of losing your pre-signed transactions and not having a key mm -hmm. um, to sign those. Uh, and then on Jeremy's, it uh, gives you a bit of flexibility in determining what happens when you actually go to spend the keys in terms of being able to set fees and set an address. Correct. Exactly. 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 And then if we want to go a step further, one of the big things we haven't kind of touched on yet is this idea of batching. Um, so when managing a vault, batching becomes really, really important because let's say that you're doing DCA on an exchange and every day you want to make a buy and then withdraw to your vault, right? So you're creating a UTXO a day. If you're using one of these, um, what I call pre-generated vault techniques, then for each UTXO you withdraw, you have like a separate vault and a separate vault process. So if you need to sweep all of those UTXOs, if something happens, you lose your keys, whatever, and you need to sweep all those UTXOs, you suddenly have like a, a huge number of transactions that you have to broadcast and a huge number of subsequent outputs that you're creating. If instead you're able to take what I call compatible vaults, vaults that have say the same recovery path, um, you can then batch all those UTXOs together into one recovery output or one unvault output. Um, and so, you know, for an individual, it makes the, the process a lot simpler, less risky, more efficient. If you're talking about a big commercial enterprise that's, that's custodying a lot of Bitcoin, um, then, you know, having batching or not having batching might you know, make a massive difference because if, if you're managing, you know, just imagine, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of UTXOs, then you've got to be able to, to operate on that set of UTXOs as efficiently as you can, especially if you're talking about responding to an attacker uh, in a timely way. Yeah. So let's dive more into that to give the less technical freaks who may be listening more context about like the particular use cases for an individual and a, a commercial entity mm -hmm. like what, what what would like for an individual is just a, is this just more secure cold storage 
where they can have more confidence that they can put their UTXOs in this type of structure and get a bit more peace of mind because if for some reason or another somebody gets access to their private keys, they they have a way to make sure that, that they keep their Bitcoin and that attacker does not get it at the end of the day. And then on the commercial side, let's just create the possibility for for better like business management uh, via UTXO management. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's that's a perfect way of stating it. Um, as a user, I mean, I, I don't I don't think proposals that are not interesting for users are are interesting for me. I didn't want to make something that you know wasn't extremely practical for someone to actually use. Um, and so this is this is something that I think is is really really usable um, and um, is as valuable to individuals I think as it is businesses um, because what it gives you is basically like a way of costlessly introducing like a final fallback for the individual. So like I said, even if it's something as simple as like your recovery path is just a different manufacturer hardware wallet or something that you have, you know, you can, you can introduce that into your setup um, and not add to the operational complexity of whatever you're doing day to day with your Bitcoin, whether that's consolidating coins or, you know, sending to exchanges or sending to other people, you still keep that flow very um, potentially seamless, you know, whatever you're doing today. But, but by using a vault, you're introducing kind of like this final fallback um, that, that you, you didn't have access to before. And it really, really, really makes it more difficult for an attacker to get to get to your coins. Um, obviously, the cost of doing this is that you introduce a delay period, um, you know, for your coins. But I mean, if this delay period is like something modest, like, you know, 10, 20 blocks, like that still gives you as a as as the holder, a huge opportunity to potentially intervene if some attacker gets a hold of your keys um, at really not that much cost to you, I don't think. Um, and then, oh, go ahead. No, you go. You finish. I was just going to say, and then as, as a business, um, I mean, you, you know, I think every business I've ever kind of interacted with, you know, if there was this feature in Bitcoin, this ability to kind of slow things down marginally, you know, like I said, like a 10 block window, if you have a sophisticated infrastructure and if, if you have, you know, software developers, like, you know, a 10 block window is, um, is an eternity in terms of being able to actually intervene and um, prevent your coins from being stolen. So I, I mean, it's my, it's my true belief if something like this were in Bitcoin, like the notion of a, a commercial hack happening would be, uh, would be very, very rare because um, if not, you know, kind of never, because um, what's necessary when you're using Evolve is to run, you know, what you could think of as a watchtower which is just something sitting there kind of watching the mempool to see if um, any of your vaulted coins are moving. And if, if that move is unexpected, you know, you uh, get an alert and the opportunity to intervene. And so if you're like a, a company, um, this is a very trivial piece of infrastructure to set up. Um, and if you're an individual, um, not only is it easy to run if you want to run it yourself, but um, I think you could do this in a way that a third party would be able to do this for you in kind of a private way. Um, 
if we were to use something like, you know, compact block filters or bloom filters where you give some third party like some information that, you know, provides, say, false positives for spends and, the, and then they just alert you and then you decide whether, um, you know, things have actually moved. But anyway, that's that's kind of getting in the weeds. But my point is, like, I think, like, I would use this for sure. Um, and I, I think this has tremendous value for, for people at the individual and at the kind of like massive scale too. Then in an ideal world where this gets adopted and people start building on it, it might be a weird question, but like what does the ideal UI look, look like if an individual or a commercial business we're going to, we're going to be setting up these vaults, what type of information would they be plugging into an app? Obviously at the send coin somewhere. Um, so you set up the vault, I imagine there's an address associated with that vault. So that's where you're sending Bitcoin to initiate it. And then obviously there's other pieces of information that you'll have to fill out. What would that look like? Mm -hmm. So I think what you could do, um, and that's actually another benefit of the op vault approach relative to the other ones is once you initiate a vault configuration, we, you can reuse it. Like you can just send to that same, you know, uh, address or it's, it's, it's pretty trivial to, um, you're sending it to the same script basically, but the, the parameters that you would put in are number one, what is, what is the recovery path look like? And presumably if you were creating one of these vaults in a certain wallet, you would kind of want to come up with that recovery path with a different way, you know, because you don't want the same wallet kind of like generating a recovery because if it's, you know, if there's a problem with the software or if it's backdoored or something. Um, so you come up with a different, um, a recovery path to feed into it. And then you'd specify a spend delay and that is specified in the same way that we do like check sequence verify or any of the other relative time locks. So it's like, you know, how many, how many blocks do you want to go by or how much wall wall time do you want to go by before you're, you know, during this withdrawal period. And, and then you would specify the withdrawal keys. Um, and so that gives you, all the information you need to actually send coins into the vault. So you get, you just get an address out you can send, you know, coins into the vault. You can, um, if you gave like an XPUB for the recovery path, you could generate new vault addresses that kind of correspond to the same vault, if you know what I mean, mm -hmm. um, to reuse. Uh, and then if, when you actually wanted to spend the vault, you go to your wallet and you say, okay, I want to spend, you know, this amount to these outputs, and then um, uh, I think it'd be pretty transparent from there. Um, you'd, you know, you'd just wait for that kind of delay period to, to lapse, um, and then your, your coins would be spent. Okay. And you'd be able to pick fees at the time that you're unvaulting. Mm -hmm. that That's you're right. Paying. Yeah, so this, so the proposal, actually, like, it can't, be like if everybody decided tomorrow this was awesome and they wanted to do it we we couldn't activate it yet because it relies on um package relay and ephemeral anchors or something like that and i don't know how deep in the weeds you want to get there but basically they 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 allow the dynamic fee adjustment to work with this with this pattern <clears throat> and they have not been merged in the core yet yeah, they have not been merged in, but, but I think of any, of, of all the outstanding stuff in Bitcoin that 
could kind of come down the pike. Transaction or um, uh, package relay is is far and away, I think, the most likely thing. It's it's pretty much going to happen. It's just kind of a matter of how quickly because, like, basically every contracting protocol on top of Bitcoin has this problem where you're kind of like locking yourself into some arrangement ahead of time. Um, and you've got to have a way of adjusting fee rates kind of after the fact. Um, and it turns out, um, you know, Lightning has has a lot of issues with this. Um, so, so package relay is definitely going to be a thing. It looks like this ephemeral anchors design is going to be a thing as well. It's kind of being lumped into some, to some degree. Do they require any, it doesn't sound like they require any consensus changes. Would they need soft forks or? No, luckily not. It's just a, just a policy thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then would Opvault, would that necessitate a, a soft fork? Cause it's a new yes. opcode. Yeah. Yeah. It's two new opcodes. And, um, so that would be a soft fork. Okay. <clears throat> and I mean, I, we were talking about it before we hit record, but it seems like there's been a lot of valuable feedback on the mailing list to your original post. What's that been like? And then I also saw Ben Carmen posted something to the mailing list last week about, uh, vaults being, uh, a way to, to improve DLCs as well. Yeah, so the feedback so far has has been pretty good. Um, I think you know I've gotten some good suggestions from Greg Sanders and AJ Towns that I've already incorporated into the code, so that's that's up there and tested. Um, and what's been cool is nobody's come along and said like, "Hey, oh no, this is a this is a huge issue or this is a, a deal breaker." Um, and a lot of people are, are are excited about it. I mean, I'm. I'm interested to, to get some feedback uh, from the industrial side a little bit to see, you know, how like, I don't know, maybe the guys at River or something would, you know, would like to have something like this. But um, so far it's been pretty positive. Um, and yeah, like you said, one of the funnier aspects of getting feedback on this has been like a number of people have been like, oh, you can use this to kind of simulate op ctv and i'm like yeah uh, you could um uh i just i just think it's funny that um you know like a lot of people are very excited and, and i'm like look if, if you if we want to do op ctv like we should just think about doing op ctv because i've spent a lot of time looking at that change it's very simple uh the risk is uh non-existent as, as far as i'm concerned I, I sat down and tried to break it i was like oh, i'd be fun to you know, find some like hashing attack or something. Um, and, um, I really, I, I put that code through the paces now. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a galaxy brain in the way that, you know, some of the other devs are, but, um, I think it's a safe change. Um, but yeah, I mean, people, people have been, you know, ironically enough, like excited about this idea of using op vault as a kind of CTV proxy. And I guess there's, um, there's a big efficiency improvement for DLCs uh, that you can add if you have something like CTV or like OpVault. It seems like <clears throat> after reading your proposal, even though you, you mentioned OpCTV seems like a, a minimal change, but it seems like the, the design parameters of OpVault are even a bit more constrained, which would... 
Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's more purpose built for you know for the vault use case, and so I think as a result, like it really just like knocks that out of the park. Whereas with CTV, I think there are a variety of cool things you can do, but I think like none of those things is this zero to one where you're just like, oh wow, this completely unlocks this new and amazing use case. You know, it's it's stuff like, oh, you can, you know, make the DLC contracts more efficient or, oh, you can do this like uh, offline uh, channel opening where, you know, you walk into a Starbucks and they don't have to have a signing key uh, live for you to be able to like open a lightning channel and push a payment, you know, to them trustlessly. So it's like, there's, I'm very supportive of CTV. I think there's, 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 some really cool stuff, but it's, um, I just think like Obvault's very, very tangible in terms of, uh, it's like, okay, yeah, this, I mean, it, it really allows you to do stuff with vaults that you just, you know, there's, there's nothing else that kind of gets you this, this tool. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I mean, after reading the paper and perusing the mailing list and trying to follow along the best I can, cause it gets really in the weeds of the technical details of the opcode and stuff like that. It does seem like it would be a, a massive added benefit, particularly for an individual who would like more secure cold storage. Like would be of a love to send coins to cold storage set like, Hey, let's have a hundred block delay, um, set up a watch only address. And if I get a ding, like, Hey, your coins are set to move and I didn't initiate that transaction. It's like, all right, I gotta go. Um, recover to my recovery path um mm -hmm. that would be a massive addition to the peace of mind on top of cold storage that i'm sure i know for a fact that many bitcoiners have it's like yeah i'm pretty confident my cold storage setup but there's always that lingering um, fear in the back of your mind like ah oh, something's gonna gonna go wrong somebody's gonna get my private keys and begin spending my coins and um it would be great to have a fail safe like this yeah, I think so. And I mean, to get like a little cosmic, you know, I think a, a lot of us, a lot of us have big dreams for Bitcoin. And if you start to think about something like central banks adopting it as a reserve asset or, you know, like Fetty getting deployed in a massive way and, um, you know, like there are going to be custodians that are going to are going to want to see a period for bitcoin where like hacks just don't happen and there's like a kind of nuclear design for doing custody in such a way that like you just know it's not going to get stolen and i think right now like we we just don't have that um there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of it, it, it's very nerve-wracking and like you're saying like you're even if your coins are super cold, you know, some nights you're like sitting there like, oh, I hope, you know, I hope something didn't happen that, you know, I, I didn't kind of anticipate or like I'm unaware of. Um, and so I think having something like this is just a huge, I, it, it, it really could be a piece in, you know, a design for custody for both individuals and, you know, major institutions where it's like, you just, you're not worried because you know this thing works. Yeah. What's the specific feedback been? Just tightening up 
some aspects of the op code, um, thinking differently about the design of the vaults, particularly. Was... Yeah, yeah. So one of the like the first piece of feedback I got from Greg Sanders, Insta Gibbs, um, was in my initial draft. Um, so there are two new op codes. There's op vault, which is like where you send the coins into when you want to vault them. And then there's op unvault, which is kind of like what I call the trigger transaction where you're triggering the withdrawal. So they have to go into this like intermediate op unvault thing while the spend delay is elapsing. Um, originally that op unvault had to be in bare script um, because otherwise the script interpreter would have a hard time, you know, wouldn't be able to see that you're spending the op vault output into a compatible op unvault output. Um, but Greg Sanders proposed a way um, to ensure that we can spend that op vault input into any kind of output. So that op unvault can be in like a taproot or a, um, you know, witness version zero script hash. Uh, so it was kind of an implementation improvement. Um, but it does help out the the efficiency and, and maybe debatably the, the privacy of the whole thing um, by uh, letting us like keep the entire life cycle of the vault within Taproot or within um, you know uh, Segwit uh, script hash. Hell yeah! And then yeah, we'll... so that was. Oh, go ahead. No, you go. Ahead. I was just gonna say that. Yeah, that was a that was. That was a great improvement. It added like a little bit of complexity to the to the implementation, but I think it's well worth it because, yeah, it's just a it's it's a good thing to have. Yeah, and then so what's you got the proposal out there? How long are you going to be taking in feedback before you officially write up a BIP? I was actually going to work on the BIP this week because I think even if you have a BIP out there um you know there is a review a review period for the bip um and i i think this this thing is pretty close to baked just because again like the the use is so focused it's not like I, a lot of the proposals that have been pitched over the past few years have been extremely open-ended and like, oh, this is going to support, you know, 101 different use cases. And we really have to sit there and like, you know, turn up the clock speed on our brains to make sure this is going to be like the right platform for the future of smart contracting on Bitcoin. This is more just like, hey, look, we want to knock vaults out of the park. Um, and me and, you know, a few other people have put in a few years of thought on, on this and, um, so I'll be surprised if the the feature set or the interface really changes all that much. Um, I I tend to think it's going to be a few things like you know what Sanders pointed out or what AJ pointed out, but um, I'm not I'm not expecting it to change that much. And frankly, I'm not expecting uh, that I'll devote like a ton of time to this. To be honest with you, I I think I'm just going to make sure the code is in good shape. Make sure the BIP is precise and readable and captures everything and then put it out there and just kind of let it marinate. Um, because I'm not interested in, you know, pushing a soft fork. I mean, I, I'd love to have this, but like corralling the community is 
a whole different thing. And, you know, in my opinion, like a good idea just kind of sells itself. So if, if the code's sitting there and people are wanting to use it, then, um, you know, hopefully, uh, I'll have other people kind of like doing sales pitches. Uh, yeah. And this wades into another thing we, we said we should probably touch on, which is governance around Bitcoin core, particularly around coming to consensus around soft forks, which obviously Opvault wouldn't necessitate. And like, yeah, I think it's a good time to jump into this estate of Bitcoin governance. I know you've been a bit burnout in recent years and a bit dismayed at the state of um, governance and conversations and the ability to actually get things reviewed and then ultimately merged. And obviously with Taproot, we did speedy trial for that soft fork and there's been a lot of negative feedback on that particular um, path towards that particular soft fork. And that raises the question, like how do you do these soft forks going forward? Um, is there going to be a new sort of um, lock-in mechanism uh, every time you do a soft fork? Is that the best way to do it? Yeah, I mean, you know, and I think maybe the, like hopefully we've moved past fretting about the, you know, the particular activation mechanism because that's just like, that's so beside the point um, in some ways. I, I, I really think like that whole controversy during the taproot activation was it you know honestly the, the the people pushing that controversy were like not some of the cooler heads in the project and i think it, it, it almost felt to me like oh we need to manufacture some kind of fight so that it looks like there was i, I don't think this is actually what they were thinking i think the the participants were all genuine but it just struck me as like this like straw man fight of like oh you know are we gonna do you know, BIP nine or not, uh, you know, lot equals true. It just, it, it, it felt really superficial relative to the, the meat and potatoes, which is like, what is, what is taproot? What does it do? Um, but setting that stuff aside, I mean, I, I think Bitcoin's in, in kind of this weird desert right now where the guy who really, I mean, in, in many ways, you know, led Segwit and Taproot, like the major, major changes to Bitcoin has kind of, you know, like for great reasons, stepped back a little bit and said, you know what, like I'm kind of done making consensus changes for now. Um, and, you know, his exact reason for doing that, I, I don't know, but I can speculate that maybe he detected it's not healthy to have uh, one person or, or a limited set of people be responsible for proposing the big changes to Bitcoin because that creates an implicit dependence, like an implicit expectation on the part of the community that it's like, Oh, what does Peter say? Like, you know, what are the stone tablets that Peter brought down off the mountain? You know, like, mm -hmm. um, and I, I just think Bitcoin's right now in the middle of, of a sort of awkward, like teenage period where it's like, okay, maybe okay what do we what do we do without a sort of implicit benevolent dictator um how do we make decisions how do we how do we decide that we're going to set out on this like fairly complicated process of doing a consensus change um without the kind of previous um 
hierarchy that we had, you know, and it's a really important thing to to figure out um, because if we don't figure it out and mind you, like almost every other major open source project, you know, if you want to look at Python with Guido Van Rosum or uh, Linux with Linus Torvalds, or, you know, I mean, <laughs> Ethereum, uh, with like just the, the normal mode of operation is kind of like, yeah, you have some guy at the top who's like, like arbitrating at the very least. And like, you know, and, and Bitcoin doesn't and probably shouldn't have that. Um, but it's like, well, there's never really been anything that's kind of operated this way. Like maybe you can look at the internet kind of like the IETF, but so, so I think we're in, we're in a really tough and for many people frustrating period where it's like, okay, we, we're proposing these things, but like, how do we actually know when good enough is good enough? And how do we know when, you know, the social consensus has, has been met? Um, and I, I don't have answers for that. Yeah. That's a very, very hard problem to solve. Um, so yeah, you were mentioning Peter Willis. Sip has taken a, a step back. Um, Gloria Zhao has, um, she's become uh, a maintainer, correct? She's got some, some mm-hmm. merge keys now. So there was change there. And, um, I know Vladimir, Vladimir stepped back. Yeah. Yeah. Vladimir stepped back. And, um, so yeah, it is this weird, uh, I like Bitcoin cores and a bit of a desert wandering through trying to figure out like how the hell do we move forward? Um, Right. So that's like, so I just got done like complaining about the social aspect. I mean, I'm sorry, the consensus aspect, but if you think about the implementation aspect, which is Bitcoin core per se versus like Bitcoin, the protocol, right. Um, That's in a similar state where it's, it's a really, really frustrating project to work on. And Honestly, like everybody who works on it is extremely talented. They're, you know, a lot of those people are like good friends of mine, but I just feel that like the leadership there does not have a very high EQ on net and like the kind of softer aspects of the project are like, (laughs) it's, it is, it is the least fun project I've ever worked on in my life by probably an order of magnitude. Um, and it's a real, I mean, sometimes I get, I get very down, um, working on it just because it's, 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 it's really tough. And for, um, you know, for a new contributor, I mean, I just, I I can't imagine. I mean, I, I have a lot of like, I, I go back and forth about like how much to say about this stuff because I, you know, some of it's just me bitching and then, uh, you know. Uh, like how productive is it, right? We've got a Bloomberg headline: Bitcoin developers says the the protocol cannot be upgraded. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Journos. Yeah, yeah. Here's here's your fodder. I mean, no, it's like these are these are fantastic struggles to be having. Like you have you have to have these struggles if you're going to make something that's genuinely leaderless. But I do wonder. I mean, I I do wonder what the final incarnation of that looks like like is it you know multiple competing projects is it like segmented projects that you know where you have like the 
consensus engines just really narrow and nobody ever really touches it and you have stuff around the edges i i don't know yeah i mean obviously you have the cohort of bitcoiners that are screaming for ossification and actually like um i can't think of a better word than stalemate that exists mm-hmm. in terms of actually being able to make changes um well they may really get what they want um because like and, and I, I, look, I, I am in the past, I've been an ossification guy. I mean, I like, I, I want immutable sound money, like as much as anybody else, but, um, a buddy of mine, I guess I, I won't name him cause I don't know if he'd want me to put his name out there, but, um, really, really talented guy, um, uh, gave me a stat a few months back and it's really stuck with me and, um, I'll bungle the exact stat but the nature of it will come across right like so if you wanted to open a lightning channel for three billion people like all you want to do is just open a lightning channel you're not talking about closing or or anything else and you're not going to do anything else with the bitcoin chain right for the next uh however long until you get you get this this these these openings done it would take you something on the order of three years of chain space to do that you know and it's like yeah like I, i'm open to the idea that, that bitcoin might um you know bitcoin might essentially be like a uh a plumbing asset where we have kind of we go back to free banking and maybe fetty creates this kind of like free banking environment um but look man bitcoin is not the same asset if there isn't always the threat of an account holder going on chain, right? Like you always need the ability to withdraw to chain and take custody of your coins, right? Or else or else we wind up in the gold problem where it's all just sitting in a Bitcoin warehouse and you know there's a paper Bitcoin market. Like you need a system for this thing to work in the way that I think we want it to work. I, I think you need a system where you can take possession of your coins if you want to. I would agree. And so, yeah, I mean, that's something that's, I mean, it's been talked about a lot, but people don't, it's like one of those unspoken agreements, like don't bring it up. But yeah, like if, as the protocol stands right now, it's literally impossible for not even everyone on the planet to have a UTXO, but for a material amount of people to actually own a UTXO. That's right. That's right. Um, Yeah, I think somebody told me recently, is the number like 40 million detected on-chain entities? I think per some kind of, you know, glass node metric, it's like, it's not, it's not very much. And, you know, like, so look, I don't, I don't want to make crazy changes to Bitcoin. Uh, if anybody goes near the supply schedule, you know, I'll freak out. But I mean, like Bitcoin's got a, <laughs> we've got to scale to some, to some degree. And we've got to ha- figure out how to do that in a way that, you know, preserves the ability to audit the supply um, and to transact as an individual. Um, but it's got to be done. And like, we're pretty far from that point. So, you know, the people who want to ossify, 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 I just, I don't think they understand the limitations right now. Yeah. And no, you said you don't want to be the one proposing solutions for these consensus or social consensus agreements to get these changes in. But if you did have a magic wand, like what, what is your inclination? Maybe you don't know exactly 
or have a, an exact idea of what needs to be done in terms of creating a, a governance structure, but where does your gut lead you toward? So you mean in terms of like specific proposals or like changes to process or process specifically? Cause it seems like that's, Ooh. that's a, a very big sort of, um, it's part of the, that part of changing Bitcoin is, is slowed down quite a bit. And yeah. I has mean, the most, has the most questions in the air. It's the $64,000 question. Seriously, because like, <laughs> so you have one answer, which is like, put somebody in charge. Like everybody knows that's not the right answer. Um, like we can't go that route. Um, you know, I think like you can make the argument it's early yet, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's only been, you know, a little time since Tappert activated. Um, we have, we have more time to sort this out, um, which maybe is true, but uh, I have worries about the way the supply schedule interfaces in terms of timing with you know, with other things. Um, one thing that's encouraging to see is like right now, Antoine Riard has put together this covenants working group. Um, and he's, you know, holding regular meetings and he's got this repository that has, it's trying to document like all the covenant use cases so that at least, um, you know, he can put some formalization around that process and, um, create like a specific venue to have that conversation. So I think, you know, things like that are, are good and maybe you'll see more things like that evolve. Um, the thing with consensus is it, it's not like someone, you know, can, it's not like the answer is like, Oh, just make another code base and do the alternative and, you know, people will, will adopt it. Uh, it I, I think it's a really, it's a softer process than that because you're, it's not just like, oh, hey, run this this other software because you have to reason about the way the deployment's going to happen and the way that like um, all the legacy clients are going to interface. And so it's really, I think it's got to be this process of, of people kind of coming together and maybe there's got to be a sort of overwhelming like, yeah, we want to do this kind of from the, the, the community at large. But that's, <laughs> it's, it's tough. Um, because like, you know, you don't want, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of like democracy and um, a lot of people in Bitcoin, you know, industrial users have their own set of incentives. And so it's just, it's, I, I don't have a great answer for you, man. I wish, uh, I truly wish that I did. That's what the freaks came here for. They're going to be disappointed. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Nobody has this answer and that's, Mm -hmm. Going back to like 2017, Segwit, I mean, one can make the argument that Segwit got merged into core because we, we hit these limits and it became apparent like, all right, we need um, more efficient block space. And so like we, we hit this this wall of usability in terms of block space and then Segwit was there, got implemented. And maybe the point I'm trying to make is maybe that's what is the driving impetus for these changes. You, you hit a, a sort of threshold or, or a limit of what the chain can do. People want more things and then they're more 
incentivized to be like, all right, let's seriously look at, consider these changes and try to develop consensus around them. Yeah, I think you're dead on. And like the counterpoint to what I just got done saying is like, well, all right, if there was actually some existential problem with Bitcoin, like I do think we could probably come together. And I do think the existing technical community is practically minded enough that like if there was something really rough, we could come up with something and I think get agreement and I think get it deployed. Um, but uh, yeah, it's almost this question of like, what do you do when you're in the middle? What do you do when you're, you know, a lot of people, I mean, Jeremy, my God, I mean, Jer you know, Jeremy's got all these ideas for things you could do with Bitcoin. Um, and he should get a ton of credit um, for coming up with things you could do with Bitcoin that aren't, shitcoiny or ill-advised or risky to the kind of underlying protocol. Um, uh, and so what do you do when you're in this situation where you, you see the world that could be, and you're like, Oh, this could be so good. You, you know, you could use it in this way and this thing could be more efficient, but it's not like a burning need, right? It's not like, Oh, tomorrow, nobody's going to be able to transact if we don't, if we don't do this. It's like, how do you deal with that, that situation? Yeah. Is patience the most important virtue for a Bitcoin core developer? That's certainly like dumb persistences, uh, you know, like just sitting there and <laughs> like rebasing your code and, you know, responding to feedback. And um, it's, I, I work, you know, like from a personal standpoint, um, before I started working on Bitcoin professionally, I, I was writing so much code and it was like, it, it, it feels so good to, to make things and ship them and see them in the world. Um, and in Bitcoin land, you spend like, I don't, if you're doing it right, if you're, if you're really, if you've really figured out something great, you're, you're spending 20 to 30% of your time, like writing code, maybe if you're lucky. Um, and otherwise you're waiting, reviewing, responding to feedback. So it's, uh, it's a different mode. And I kind of worry sometimes that I'm atrophying, you know, like as a dev, because I'm, I'm doing, but then again, like you, you focus on different stuff, you focus on these protocol problems and you come up with like side projects to distract yourself. Like, um, I'm working on this BMON thing and, you know, Bitcoin perf is currently defunct, but I'm going to return to that. And, um, so you, you find ways of keeping yourself occupied, but it's a different mode for sure. Yeah. That's fascinating. I do not envy that type of workflow. <laughs> it's rough, man. I really don't like doing it. Uh, I, I keep doing it cause I really like Bitcoin. And at this point I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but, uh, I've sunk so much time into doing this that it's like, who the hell else is going to do this? You know, well, that brings up a good question. Who the hell, else is going to do this and what i mean you mentioned uh, new individuals coming and trying to contribute to core what's the state of new entrants into the core project looking like from your perspective you know i'd say in the last year maybe we've actually had some some really great new people come on board um there is a younger crop you know in the code base that i'm seeing um, and that makes me really happy. Uh, I do worry a little bit 
I mean, I mean, still, it's not in the numbers that I'd, I'd like to see, but um, I do worry a little bit about what is going to happen to funding if we have a protracted bear market, because already I'm talking to devs who are like, hey, you know, I'm not I'm not getting renewed. And I know for a fact they're amazing devs and they're doing super valuable work for Bitcoin. And um, and I am getting the sense that funding is a lot tighter Um and I, I tell you what, man, I mean, I, I started doing Bitcoin development on nights and weekends for myself, um, you know, at a time when when the development regime was probably a little bit easier going. Um, but if Chaincode hadn't graciously paid me to just sit there and do core stuff all day, um, I, I just don't know if I would have had the um, tenacity or the, you know, the time to, to, to stick with it and actually become a, a proficient core developer because it really just takes like months of kind of sitting there and being useless and getting to know the system um, before you can, you know, do good review or, or, or be helpful. I mean, you know, now, now some people are, are different. Some people are, are uh, absolute geniuses, but even then, like there's a there's a, there's a different acclimation process. Like no matter what your strengths are, it just takes a few months to to kind of get into that into that world. And I worry if people aren't being paid full time to to do it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Oh, it's fascinating because we again going back to review Bitcoin as this imperative protocol project monetary system as we transition further into the digital age uh and it is at the end of the day a distributed system dependent on on code that people are um either getting paid to write or just writing out of passion um and as the system grows larger and more systemic like it's these are very important problems to think about or maybe not necessarily problems but processes mhm mhm yeah definitely yeah it's uh, so you bullish or bearish? We're we just in a lull period here. Where? Look, I I used to think something like Bitcoin was just inevitable, and it would be a matter of time. Um, I still think that. I think I'm less sure of it, just because of these massive governance questions. Um, I just don't, I don't know how all that shakes out. I mean, what I do know is that, like, I'm just going to keep doing it because it's the most important thing I could, I could think of. Um, I mean, I have like, I don't know. I do, I do worry. I, I mean, I, I think about the physical world more these days. Like in my off time, I'm like building an off grid solar system because I want to learn how energy sovereignty works. I mean, solar's, you know, like solar's, I'm not, I'm not bullish on solar, but per se, but I, I want to know how to generate my own energy, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is the way uh, solar should be used. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah, we, we could have a whole discussion about that. I don't think solar scales, uh, but I think if you're, if you're, if you want self-sovereign energy, it's like in many cases, the most a practical way to, to get it, you know? Um, but, but so am I bullish or bearish right now? I, I guess like, 
<laughs> I'm kind of bearish, but I'm like, this is so critical and important. I don't care if it's like, if the chances aren't good, I just, we need to work on it. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Like I see a bunch of problems. Um, although I'm someone who's kind of like a warrior by nature. And so, you know, uh, and, and a bit of an alarmist. Um, but look, you know, I remember you and I having a conversation and it was like, I just don't know what I would do if Bitcoin didn't exist. I don't, I don't know how it would like get up in the morning because of like things are so screwed up that what, you know, like this is the one raft we have out of all this. And like, I feel that way still, but in a different way, I'm like, it, it, it is sort of, but I'm less, I'm less certain that it's going to work within our lifetimes, I guess. Damn. Yeah, no. I know. I'm, I'm sorry for being so somber freaks. No, we need uh sometimes everybody needs some cold water splash in their face. Like be real. This is uh, uh yeah, I, I, I want to be, I'm, I'm, you know, and like, it's probably just a matter of being like too close into the, to everything and like being zoomed into how the sausage is made as they say. Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, yeah, I don't, in my gut, I'm just like, the world is much less certain to me. Like, like, let's say, I, <laughs> let's say that like all the political fuckery that's gone on, you know, for the past, Oh, I don't know, 50 years. Um, like eventually does come back to bite us and we hit, massive energy scarcity and like all of a sudden our immediate concern isn't you know how can i make enough money to afford a nice house to like how can i make sure that my family is warm um you know and and the country the country's focus shifts from like oh aren't all these software companies that we've harvested great to like, holy shit, we haven't built an oil refinery since 1975 or whatever. Um, maybe we need to be doing that. Maybe we need to be, you know, like building nuclear plants. And I'm not saying any of this is mutually exclusive with Bitcoin. I'm just saying that like, if physical problems in the world get real enough, the digital world might take kind of a backseat while we retrench as a civilization and say like, holy shit, there's some bad energy stuff going on. Uh, there's some bad stuff going on in the physical world that we've got to address. And I don't really have time for the, the stock market or a new money system anymore. Um, and I can so, certainly see that, you know, um, and it's a little bit of a Luddite perspective. Um, and it's not necessarily my base case, but it's like, maybe that happens. Yeah. No, it seems like the governments are fucking things up pretty, pretty brilliantly right right now. Whether or not it's on right. purpose or via pure incompetence is another discussion. But objectively, it's happening right now, and it's yeah, it's pretty scary, especially as somebody with two young children. It's like, what the hell is going to happen to you when you grow up? And you know, I've obviously dedicated my life to Bitcoin because I think it's imperative for them if I want them to live free and be able to live a life of, of prosperity and joy and the pursuit of happiness and freedom. But then, yeah, you have this um, stark reality in the physical world of meat space where like literally the 
the infrastructure that gives us modernity is crumpling right in front of our eyes. That's right. Yeah. Maybe being a beefy Bitcoin boy won't just be a, you know, a, <laughs> a, a, a trivial thing. No, it's going to be a bunch of scrawny Bitcoin boys. It's uh, unless you have your own farm. Ah, Oh, that's what I love. How, how nice would it be to have chickens and, you know, be, have, have a nice little garden growing, have your own source of energy, have well water. Uh, you know, those are, those are the things that I want. I, uh, I really don't care to be, uh, rich. I, I just really like, a security nice and a lot of land and yeah and and obviously the social stuff that's the tricky part man is like how do you yeah there seems to be this like trade-off between getting self-sovereign and, and then like having a social life you know yeah yeah i deal so. with that all the time coming from like a big family it's like yeah i'd like to go live on a farm in a far off place but it's like oh, i'm so far away from my family mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. uh interesting times well, um, okay, then the, uh, the bearer sentiment on, on Bitcoin is, um, got me thinking like, and, and I had this thought earlier I wanted to bring up, like, and I don't know. I mean, you mentioned like how Linux was run, how Python was run other open source projects with this centralized figure sort of arbitrating what does and does not get into those projects. And obviously we would both agree probably not a not an option for bitcoin considering it needs to be this leaderless project but at the open source layer of the project obviously we have a bunch of core developers proposing code discussing it like is there and i I could be completely wrong here but this is there room for like project product managers that have experience with like big product releases joining the developer community and sort of trying to think of ways to to do quote unquote product launches which would be changes to core or something like that mm-hmm. you think mm-hmm. that type of perspective is necessary or valuable for core yeah i mean i think it's an idea worth exploring and so what's funny is like to an extent it, it has been explored a little bit like when steve lee first came mm-hmm. on the scene um, you know, I, I, I think the world of Steve, he's I, like, I've never seen a, a harder worker. Um, um, and his ambition, I think initially was, he's like, I'm going to come in, get to know the core world and kind of be the core PM. Um, because I, you know, I detect that there are these kind of like process inefficiencies here. Um, and, you know, um, I, I think it's one difficulty there is because Bitcoin is such a deeply technical project. It's not that he didn't have credibility, but it's just like you kind of can't be in that sort of managerial role. Like people like the, the project won't take you seriously just because it's deeply technical. And unlike a private company where there's sort of a hierarchy and it's like, oh no, this is a manager. They, you know, maybe uh, they're seeking your counsel, but like they tell you what to do at the end of the day, like that, because that hierarchy isn't there, like it's, it's a a very frustrating experience, I think for the PM, because it's sort of like, okay, well I can't, I don't, 
you know, I can't really affect anything. Um, or maybe it, it, it feels that way, but, um, I've kind of felt like I, so I think what you need are, are more people who have done development work, um, but are really trying to kind of facilitate other people's work and come up with a priority list for themselves and, you know, check in on PRs and say, Oh, I think we should all review this. Or I think, you know, maybe this is ready for merge or it'd be really great. You know, if we could focus on project X, Y, Z, because I think it has these benefits. Um, and so I've thought a little bit about shifting my focus after what was I going to finish? I was going to try and finish Beamon and then kind of shift my focus to that and, and just be more of like a, a repo mom and like, figure out, you know, what, what we need to do and you know, try and like just comment and check in with people. And if there's a new contributor, really stay on top of their PRs and, and try and be welcoming. Um, I just think it's, yeah, it's hard to do that if you haven't established like, you know, technical credibility um, in Bitcoin. Yeah. So I guess you're saying like the, some of the gray beard devs just need to become repo moms. Let other people write the code and um, step back and try to not focus on writing new code, but try to coordinate everybody else writing code. So I think so. But the, the tricky part there is like when you spend time in the software world, you realize like there are to an extent different archetypes. And um, one of the archetypes is like, Oftentimes, the smartest software engineers, um, in, in, a, in a narrow technical sense, will not be uh, people people. Mm -hmm. And I think we've, like the Bitcoin, both the Bitcoin core project and process kind of selects for people who aren't people people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so sort of the, the existing, you know, and again, like these people are my friends, so I can, I can bag on them a little bit. Um, like the EQ is not high, uh, in, in, in the upper <laughs> ranks. And like these people are very thoughtful, you know, like, but it's just, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're very, very, very technical people. And so, um, either there isn't, isn't the desire or kind of the understanding, um, to do this. I mean, I, so, so, um, I won't go into specifics, but like there were a number of new contributors who came along over the past year, did some really awesome work, uh, clearly showed that they had some horsepower and, you know, might be real assets to the project. And their, you know, their PRs were kind of like met with crickets. And, um, in, in a few different cases, I was kind of saying like, Hey, these are new people. They look talented. They've made good changes. Like, why don't we try and do something with this? And, um, you know, it's, it's like nobody's fault and everybody's fault, you know, just, but nothing, nothing happened. Um, is there sort of like a, like a mentality of like, Hey, this is our, like, a it's like the surfing lineup. Like you, you go to somebody's local beach and try to hop in the surfing lineup. And like, you, know, you can't fucking ride a wave. Like we're going to ignore you, <laughs> not only ignore you, but like box you up from, from catching a wave. Is there that mentality eking into the project? 
I think, you know, there, there, like there was a time where I would say, yes, uh, maybe four years ago when you had a lot of people driving by, um, trying to get their name on, you know, the, the perception was, oh, you're trying to get your name on Bitcoin by making this superficial refactoring change. Um, and there was like a big, you know, we like the project swung way in one direction, which was like no refactoring. You know, we can't have these people just coming in, churning up the code base. So that used to be more a part of it. Now, I, I don't think it's so much that. I think here's what happens. Like nobody, no Bitcoin dev wakes up and they're like, oh, that jerk hasn't been around. So I'm not going to, you know, it's it's more like there's a very limited number of people working on the project and getting code reviewed is a very time intensive process. And there's a lot of work that has to be reviewed. So people's, um, you know, people just aren't, they don't, they don't have much time and there isn't much net time on the project. Uh, and this is kind of like the same with the, the consensus discussion is like the reason Bitcoin becomes a very deeply uh, a deeply political thing to work on. And this is like another controversial thing I've been mulling over is like the, the development process in Bitcoin is like extremely political. It is more political than any company I've ever worked at, to be honest with you, because at a company, it's like, OK, I got this thing. It like solves a problem. You know, let's do it. And again, it's not an apples to apples comparison because the risk at a company is much lower typically but um but in bitcoin what happens is like there's a scarcity of people who know the project who are working on it you know who have the capability to assess things at a ground level right and then there's more people who are like kind of technical but they're really just using the people who understand the ground truth as kind of like heuristics as like indicators for like what the right thing is and so that creates this like deeply political situation where you're like okay how can i how can I talk to or influence the, the, the 50 people who are upstream kind of of this whole ecosystem? Um, and that's what it ends up being. And so I think like to, to zoom back into the repo, it's, it's more just like um, everybody's busy, but also, you know, welcoming new people kind of isn't really a priority. Yeah. And how do you solve that? You Nobody knows. Repo moms. Repo More repo moms. moms. I'll, I'll become a repo mom. All right. Buy a minivan. Put your apron on. Put my apron on. <laughs> Get in. No, seriously. I mean, that's 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 probably what I'll what I'll wind up doing because um, I don't know. It's like sounds like a good idea to me. Just, yeah, you, you've obviously trying. identified this. I would probably describe it as a shortcoming of this inability to, to help these new contributors sort of mm -hmm. wade through the process. And, um, who knows, maybe you'll be the tip of the spear of a new trend that begins to emerge and is one of these natural progressions that, that leads to a trend that at the end of the day, maybe we'll look back five years from now and the emergence of the repo moms helped create better <laughs> consensus processes. It could be, yeah. Um, you know, another guy who deserves a ton of credit here is Adam Jonas. He's mm -hmm. like, you know, he's done a ton. I mean, you know, more things that you could rattle off um, in in a few minutes. But um, he kind of, I think he like went down the repo mom path a little bit. And he was like, nah, nah, nah this, you know. 
Um, you'd have to ask him like why he he kind of shied away from that, but I, I just know he kind of. But yeah, man. I mean, I, I'll give it a shot. Like if I think if I think that's like the, the the best thing that I can do for Bitcoin, that's what I'll be doing. Um, yeah. What would you? Is there anything idiots like me could do? Like the devs looking for signaling from from users more or i think you just keep doing what you're doing man you're doing i think you're doing exactly what you should be doing for bitcoin which is which is awesome um i'm trying to think i mean i haven't put too much thought into like would it be worth highlighting newer devs or something like that i i don't know if any of that stuff makes sense because it, it is a it is a really thorny issue i just think like we need to start with being you know more welcoming um more accommodative, you know, try, but, but like, look at the root of all this stuff, I think is the hard fact that if, if more big businesses are not paying individuals to sit there and work on open source Bitcoin stuff, um, it's just, it's not going to happen because realistically, like being, being a, an active core contributor in your spare time, it's just not, it just doesn't work um, to do, to do a meaningful contribution. Like it, it's, it's, it's too, it's too time intensive. I tried to do it after, you know, after I'd gotten to know the system um, and you wind up spending an entire weekend rebasing and you're like, okay, I didn't even make any forward progress. Like I'm just, I'm just keeping up with the Joneses here. Uh, and I just blew my entire weekend. So um, I think at root, you know, one way to address this problem would be like, if you're an exchange and you're making a lot of money off of Bitcoin, like reallocate that to a full-time core dev because otherwise they're just not going to be in the, in the same numbers. Yeah. does that, I mean, does that catch up process just get more arduous as time goes on and the protocol changes and there's more variables to be aware of? Like, is this a problem that compounds moving forward? What I hope happens is what Carl Dong kind of started, um, which is the Lib Bitcoin kernel project, where like maybe we'll get to a point where the you know Bitcoin core as we know it is is really just the consensus rules and um, it's a it's a bit more tightly scoped. I mean, but there are there are a lot of problems with that too um, because so much of like. Bitcoin development now and questions about what's going to happen to Bitcoin are contingent on mempool policy and like mempools, you know, sort of, sort of separate from consensus. And, um, you know, I think having a good wallet implementation that's like canonical is always good. So like, that's not as straightforward as I, as I once thought it was, I used to be of the opinion that if you, Oh yeah, just segmented into the consensus stuff and then everything else. And it's like, Oh, it's a little bit, it's a little bit harder to do, um, than I thought. Yeah. Tough conversations. Need to be had, though. I'm very happy that you're being this open and, um, and just speaking your mind on this stuff because I think it's important. Because I know, I mean, we've had conversations off air over the last, I know, in the last couple of years, particularly, like I said earlier, you've been a bit dismayed at the process and everything that's been going on. Yeah. And, and you know, number one, the fact that I'm, bearish and saying bearish things means you should probably, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's probably a good contraindicator for the, the Bitcoin price is probably going to rocket tomorrow or something. But, um, <laughs> so yeah, the, not financial advice, but, uh, 
uh, yeah, given my track record. Um, number two, uh, maybe I'm just too close to this stuff. And, and look, like when it comes to any, like I still think of Bitcoin as far and away being the most credible uh, thing that could do what we want to do. Um, and that's why I'm still waking up and, you know, devoting my best hours to it. So I still think it's, it's, it's the best shot that we've got. I just, you know, sometimes you're uh, just waiting, too close through, and waiting through the desert right now, wondering, yeah. is, there, is there an wondering oasis out there? That's right. Is the mana going to keep showing up? I, uh, I hope so. I do as well. Let's wrap it up with op vault stuff. More positive cool. note. Like, would you be more bullish if you get a bit and gets, uh, it gets a lot of enthusiasm around it. Maybe you know, people are like, all right, we want this get soft fork. And let's say by 2025, we have op vault. Would that make you more bullish? Well, I, it'll make me more bullish if, if people really want it and there's, you know, there are a lot of voices who are like, I, I would, I, I would love to have this, you know, um, uh, you know, both kind of individuals and, and on the commercial side. Um, so yeah, if, if it gets a lot of support and look, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell it. Um, I just thought it should exist as an idea out there with working code in case that's the direction that, you know, we want to go. So if it gets a lot of support and people are excited, um, and it gets activated, you know, great. Um, I think what I find interesting from a process standpoint about this proposal versus other ones is that, like I was saying, this is a much more general proposal. It's like much more purpose built. And so to see how it'll be evaluated is interesting to me because there hasn't, you know, this, this proposal is a lot more like say check lock time verify or check sequence verify than it is like SegWit or, or Taproot in the sense that it gives you this new tool. It's not a complete reimagining of like how scripting in Bitcoin works in the way that a general covenant proposal would be, or, um, you know, a zero knowledge proof, uh, you know, Rube Goldberg machine would be, um, it's, it's, it's a much more narrow tool. So it'll be interesting to me to see how it's evaluated. And I'm, I'm looking forward to just kind of like throwing it out there and seeing, seeing what happens. Yeah, so you're saying there's a potential that you throw it out there and people are like, ah, this is too specific. Like, why would we sell fork for something so narrowly focused? I'll be very disappointed if that's the if that's the um, the outcome. Um, what I'd be more interested to hear is if someone's like, this doesn't meet my use case, or I wish it did this thing, but it doesn't actually do this thing. Um, but again, you know, after thinking about this stuff for for almost years now. Um, I just think the vaults like like vaults to design for is pretty open and shut in terms of what you want. And I think this is, this is everything uh, I could ever imagine wanting. Um, uh, so I'll be, I'll, I'll just be curious to see if there are people who investigate it and come up with, you know, different conclusions. Mm -hmm. And have you gotten feedback from any potential enterprise users of this? Have you had anybody reach out be like, Oh, we really need this. Part of my, I mean, part of what motivated this is like, I'm pretty intimately familiar with certain, you know, enterprises and just in, in kind of watching the design of things, it's, you know, I've, I've kind of been like, 
matching that a little bit against this proposal. Um, but yeah, I would I would love to hear from um, you know other people who are who have to deal with large amounts of Bitcoin um, to see if uh, you know if this is a this is of use. Yeah. So if any of you enterprise users are out there listening, let's give some feedback. Go read the proposal. Yeah, it's weird at this bear market. Everybody's focused on price and like the the industry, like some of these enterprise companies that fucked up with Bitcoin. Everybody's focused on um, how would I put this? Like the just the market in general. Mm -hmm. It feels like there has been a bit of a a straying away from focusing on the protocol that actually enables that industry to be built in the first place. So maybe there's there's a need for people to to come back and, and focus on the protocol. Obviously, we had Segwit and then into Taproot. It seems like maybe there's a bit of a burnout after Taproot specifically in terms of uh, the mind share of people paying attention to the protocol. And um, that's actually, I was really excited when you launched, um, when you released the proposal for OutVault. I was like, oh, this is like the most interesting thing. Uh, in regards to like Bitcoin protocol that I've I've read in quite a while, like re reinvigorated my my drive to to get more familiar with what's going on day in and day out. Because honestly, I've been focusing on the market structure as well more more heavily than than the protocol stuff over the last year and a half, probably. I'm glad to hear that, man. And um, yeah, I hope I hope it reminds people that there are you know maybe tools that we can actually introduce that that make doing what we all want to do with Bitcoin, which is custodying, you know, safer. Um, and, and we can actually improve things um, in substantive and, and specific ways. So yeah. that's great to hear. Where can we send the freaks to learn more about Vault? If there's any developers who may want to review um, the code that you've written or give feedback on, on the proposal, obviously feedback can happen on the mailing list where you started that thread, but in terms of the code base, Where's that sitting right now? Yeah, so if you're just curious about this stuff, go read the paper. It's at um, the website's jamesobe vaultspdf And if you pull that up, you can read the paper. And then within the paper, I link to the implementation. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much got everything you need. Um, and then, yeah, if you, if you want to follow the discussion, check out the mailing list. That's, that's all up there. Yeah, very short paper, only 12 pages. The last page is annotation. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, I wanted to keep it brief, and it's, you know the margins are big, so it's like a it's it's not a bad read. I don't think. No, not at all. Should take you twenty minutes, James, my beefy Bitcoin brother. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. We can't we can't wait uh, as long as we have, um, both off the record and on the record. Um, Absolutely. And uh, we got to counterbalance this episode with me in like a euphoric bowl phase. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, let's, let's do this again soon. Um, I always love coming on, man. I, you know, I love to see TFTC develop into the mammoth <laughs> that it is now. Um, and I just uh, reminisce often about our, our, uh, you know, our sloppy evening in the Barstool Sports office with my younger brother, who no longer likes Ethereum. <laughs> A lot of pee breaks during that that first rip. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. But yeah, it's always a pleasure coming on, man. 
Um, thanks for having me. Well, the pleasure is always mine. Um, thank you for doing what you do, uh, and being earnest and honest on this. Cause again, every once in a while, all the, uh, all the, uh, the boltards need some, some cold water splash on them. Like, Hey, uh, the number's going up where you're thinking about number go up, but number go up is dependent on, on this, on this code base that, that is making everything work. So, um, appreciate you highlighting some of these pain points and, uh, painting the picture of, of Bitcoin wading through the desert, uh, from an engineering project perspective, because I think it's very important that people are aware of that. Totally. I do it cause I love Bitcoin and, uh, I hope we get there. I'm, I'm, I'm fine to be in the desert for a while. I think it's yeah. nice out here. <laughs> and uh, I'm bullish. I'll, I'll be the bull of the episode. Like I said earlier, I think there's just this natural way of things in Bitcoin where it gets to a point where it's like, all right, we need to do something. And then once it gets to that point, people are like, all right, let's do something. I think that'll continue. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. All right. Well, you go enjoy your day. I know you're going to do some chores. I don't want to hold you from doing that. And um, we'll catch up offline. Sounds great, brother. All right. Peace and love, freaks. Dickie!